0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a fifteen-hundred-dollar first bet offer on your first wager.
1: The Athletic.
2: The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off.
3: Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Now, we will, of course, be talking about last night's defeat to Liverpool and trying to work out what we have to do to get to the next level. We have a great interview that Handbrake's very own Amy Lawrence did with Fabrice Mwamba. And we'll be looking at the ute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, oh, I, I'm just going to apologise to you now as the Ute member of the uh, handbrake of the team this morning. Uh, yeah, our guest this Thursday morning, ah. Oh. Adrian Clarke and Art de Rosay, morning. Good morning. Morning, guys. Morning. Uh, now, there was a moment just before the game started where my mate, who was sat next to me last night, uh, nudged me and pointed out Mo Salah coming out slightly early and uh, taking his place on the bench. And I have to say, I was encouraged. Uh, it didn't work out, but you know what I mean. Uh, so I was going to ask you guys, what opposition players you hated or feared coming up against? Ah, oh, I'll start with you. I think the obvious one's Drogba, so I'm not going to go with him. <laughs> yeah, <I've... laughs> he is the obvious one. I was going to go with him, actually. <laughs>
4: um, but for me personally, I just had a real dislike for Nanny at Manchester United. I just felt, yes, he was a good player, but he just always seemed to turn up against Arsenal. It didn't have to be a goal. Like sometimes it was like his chip over Almunia in 2010. But I remember that, I think it was the FA Cup tie. Old Trafford where he was doing kick-ups in midfield and that, that just stays stuck in my head and I, I, I think when that question came up he was the first person that came to my mind so I'm probably going to go with him.
3: Yeah, I was at that game, that FA Cup game, and I, I forgot my glasses for some reason. <laughs> and I spent the first 60 minutes thinking it was Ronaldo, by the way. I just, honestly, I thought, he, God, Ronaldo's playing well. I said to my mate, and he said, he's not playing. I said, well, who's that? Oh, Nani, is it? Oh, the other Portuguese bloke, who's not quite as good, but seems to be turning it on against us. 4-0 we got beat, didn't we, at that game, yeah. I think it yeah. was. Yeah, horrible, horrible. Uh, Adrian, what about you? Who did you fear?
5: oh i don't know i'm just trying to think of as a player i always just i always feared pace it frightened me so if especially if i was having to do a job at wing back if i was up against someone that was absolutely rapid it would just make me really really edgy and nervous and i think a lot of footballers that aren't super speedy and i wasn't slow but i wasn't quick as some and yeah it can fill you with fear and um, so that's that's the style of play that, that i was worried about i think from an arsenal perspective if you rewind the clock it's someone that i played with for the england junior teams that was just an incredible finisher and, and that's robbie fowler oh I think. Um, good robbie, call. yeah robbie fowler obviously scored two hat tricks against arsenal one of them was in about uh three minutes uh, it, was, it was a record breaker wasn't it it was ridiculous um, and i was actually on the bench for the for the second hat trick at, at anfield we took the lead i think in the game ian wright and um and then he scored three goals and and they beat us 3-1 but yeah he just always seemed to To have that lethal that lethal edge against Arsenal, and I'll never forget it. I was so jealous. I was on the bench. I didn't come on, Um, but Fowler got his hat trick, and he was so he's a peer. You know, I knew him. He's my age. We were both about twenty at the time, and he gets his hat trick, and then they take him off, and the whole of Anfield just sort of rose to give him, you know, an incredible ovation. Yeah, I was was pleased for him, but also (laughs) massively green with envy because that was, you know, he'd he'd made it.
3: Did you clap? uh, Did you clap at the end with everyone else?
5: Nah, no, of course (laughs) not. You can't be seen to be doing that, no chance. But yeah, I had to... I had to, yeah, I had to put on the sad face, but, but yeah, well, he was he was a real thorn in Arsenal's side, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, um, well, I mentioned him. I mean, I am going to say Didier Drogba. I actually interviewed Drogba once, and I asked him about uh, uh, Philip Senderos and about you know. I'm told him that his therapy is going pretty well and he should be over his <laughs> sort of post-traumatic stress disorder that he got from playing against Didier Drogba. To be honest, it was also ex-players like in that team. Like Ashley Cole played really well for Chelsea against us quite a few times. He's not someone you fear particularly, but he is one of those guys you think, I know he's going to give a performance. One other was when we sold Robin van Persie in Man United and then went to Manchester United and Tommy van Marlen... Gave him the ball and he scored in front of us, in front of us. And, of course, he celebrated, of course, because, you know, he's Robin Van Persie and he would. And, uh, yeah... I, uh, I cursed him, although I wasn't singing some of the more disgusting songs that the Arsenal fans were singing about him. I'll be honest with you. I also found that game difficult because we were playing in blue and I cannot sing Come On You Blues. It just doesn't, it just like, trips on my tongue. Oh, yeah. Anyway. I,
5: I had to, I had to um, a friend of mine has a memorabilia company and I helped to sort of arrange a signing with Van Persie when he was red hot at Manchester United. So I had to go there and, and, and be pretend nice. With because obviously we were we were all a little bit fuming with him. It wasn't a great way to to exit the club. Um and yeah, I had to sort of make conversation for a couple of hours and be, you know, be be the sort of nice friendly guy and yeah, it just and he was nice. He was Colesie really was nice. Of course he's nice. He was, nice. He, he, he was lovely, but um and <sighs> I got on well with him, but yeah, it was yeah, it was one of those deep down I just thought
3: yeah uh, well let's right. let's not revisit one of the many players who left us and went on to success with another team with one of our rivals Uh, a reminder that you can read every article we talk about today with an Athletic subscription if you're not yet a subscriber you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod for an offer of £1 a month for six months
2: being clear from box to box, probably we were the better team in many parts of the game, but when the defining moments uh, were there for the taking, they have taken them and, and we haven't. And, and that was a difference in the game.
3: Arsenal nil, Liverpool 2. Um, before we start talking about the Arsenal, I think it's important to take a moment to acknowledge quite how good Liverpool actually are. Um, I, I mean... We played one of the best teams in the world last night. Alexander Arnold is just a ridiculous footballer. Jordan Henderson is a monster. They brought Firmino and Salah off the bench. Adrian, they're not messing about, are they?
5: <laughs> no, they, they, they are. They're the best team in the country at the moment, aren't they? And and yeah, and I do think I would make them slight favourites for the league. I think they've got they're, they're a slightly better team than Manchester City. They've got less flaws. In my opinion, and yeah, just just the sight of Firmino and Salah coming off the bench was 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 scary, wasn't it? Because Luis Diaz didn't didn't really shine. Did his Jota had been quite quiet until he he got his goal, even though it was a slightly fortuitous one for him. So yeah, even if two guys aren't really at it, they can bring on another two that, that are. Yeah, in in general, I thought they were superb. That the, the two centre halves are so difficult to breach. We because we played. We played really well, I thought, in the first half, and we caused them problems, but as soon as we got into that box, boom, they're they just, they're there, and Caught they're there it. to make those blocks, those tackles, they block the path to goal, they're so hard, and this is a really basic thing to say, they're so hard to get around, Yeah, <laughs> we can get ourselves into these great positions. And then it's like ah, it's Matip Van Dijk, and I've got a trick, but oh they've read it and they've knocked me off the ball, and that's that's done. Um, no, they're, they're such a strong side.
3: Yeah, and they, they are. Uh, they yeah. are Adrian. They are they are excellent. I mean, uh, Art, it reminded me. Remember when we played Bayern Munich a few years ago and we bossed them for 10 minutes and Ozil, we really bossed them. It was Mm. one of the best things I've ever seen. Then Ozil missed a penalty and then it all, there was like a balloon deflating. But Guardiola said that was the only 10 minutes of the whole season that they were second best. And it sort of felt like that, didn't it?
4: Yeah, I feel like it was very competitive for a long stretch of time. That's kind of what you wanted. yeah. Yeah. What you wanted to see going into the game was... At least stay in the game as long as possible and then look for something. But I would say, as, as Adrian said, I felt like, especially in the first half, there were spells where Arsenal were the better team. It was just they didn't have that little piece in the final third. And I think that's where you see the, the margins, how small yeah. they are, between, say, being a club that can challenge for a, a top four spot and then you look at the depth um that Liverpool have and how efficient they are as well. You saw Arsenal played great stuff. They were very adventurous with say Thomas Partey in midfield. He moved the ball very nicely, very quickly, and Martinelli was great on the on the left. But then when you're missing just that little bit of edge, it just takes everything that you've done before that out of your game. And I think it's not the worst thing in the world, but um you definitely saw the the difference in class between Arsenal and Liverpool last night?
5: On that, yeah, the Liverpool have four of the top players in the division when it comes to expected goals per 90. Salah is obviously at the top of the tree, but Mane, Jota and Luis Diaz are all pretty close. They're they're all top teners. Arsenal have no one anywhere near the top 10 when it comes no. to expected goals per 90. And, and and they've got four, we've got none. It, it's probably no surprise that, that, that it was that that clinical edge that, that won the game for Liverpool.
3: Well, exactly what Mikel Arteta said. In the boxes is where that game was won. Because if a top-class striker gets the chance that Erdogan gets, I think he scores it. But... You know what? These are as you both say, these are fine margins. Um, the atmosphere last night, by the way, it, it, it did feel like a European night, didn't it? I mean, we had the light show beforehand, but there was something about under the lights playing against, as I said, one of the best teams in Europe and and um possibly the best actually, and um they say, "Art, oh, we match them." Let's talk about some of the uh, individual uh, uh, performances. Art, oh, you wrote a piece about Aaron Ramsdale. This is after with Mark Carey. This is after the game against Leicester, and then you could say that that you know he got beaten at the near post uh, for the first goal. Um, can I ask both of you actually about about this particular thing. When goalkeepers get beaten at the near post there's always this everyone there's always the pundits oh you shouldn't get beaten at the near post. It was a fantastic shot from Jota wasn't it and he almost got his hand to it huh? or he did get yeah. his hand to it. <laughs> I, I do still feel
4: I guess pundits frustration when they see that. <laughs> um I think the main reason is just it's such a, a small alley for for the striker to score or whoever it is to score from that you, you almost feel obliged to say the keeper has to be saving that. But I guess if you're not a goalkeeper, it's very difficult to judge. Uh, with Ramsdale, I'd say I, I probably would have expected him to do better. I didn't see it in real time because I was sat in the North Bank at the opposite end. Um, but then watching the replays, I did feel like he could have done better. But that doesn't take away from his... Uh, amazing season so far I just think it's a case of having to to throw those mistakes in the bin and then move moving on
3: yeah but what's interesting about him somebody said to me that he's got a goldfish memory um Mm. (laughs) uh, uh, Aaron Ramsdale and by that I mean if he makes a mistake he just moves on very very quickly I would have thought Adrian this is a good memory for Footballers generally, but for goalkeepers and strikers particularly. So, if they make a mistake, so if a striker misses a chance, he goes, Oh, well, I'll get another one in a minute, and he'll make the same runs. A goalkeeper will still play with the same confidence if he makes a mistake, if he has that sort of way of letting go.
5: If he's got that, yeah, I'm um, envious of that because it's definitely an advantage because it's, so much of the game is played in your head, yeah. so much of it is about confidence, and if you can just park things actually i think i'm quite good at that i've always been quite good at when when there's been a setback or a disappointment you can can just put it to one side and then concentrate on on the on a positive and, and and whatnot and i think a comedians, lot of sports people
3: comedians yeah, are good at that as well by the yeah, way yeah
5: you have to be don't you yeah. I, th- I I just don't think you can survive in those professions if you don't have the ability to do that it, it was a mistake I, I think it was a yeah yes it was a powerfully struck shot from from Jotta, but but that for me was a tougher chance than the Erdegaard one, and it was a, probably a tougher chance than the Martinelli one at the end, where you know it was a good ooh moment, you know, he had a wonderful game. We? We'll get to him shortly, I'm sure. We but I do think it opened up nicely for him to to pick out the bottom corner, and you just feel if that was a Liverpool player, they might have buried it. It was it was yeah it was it was yeah not Ramsdale's best night, but he will come back from it. He's still. A player of the season contender, no doubt about it. And there's a couple of times in that game where he played a risky pass into midfield, and I and I just really admired that about him because it's he, he came from Bournemouth, he's been propelled to the bigger stage, and
3: he fits. He's just he? doing his thing. Yeah. He fits. And and your your piece art, you did sort of get into that really, and and it, you talked about um, the expected goals on target thing in that yeah. piece could you just briefly explain that
4: <laughs> yeah so basically it kind of takes into account shots on target that he's faced um and also i guess the quality of those shots so where they've come from and the act basically the angle of the shots have come from and how well he has done to save those shots and how many of those would have accounted for goals and how many goals he's prevented basically yeah. so yeah. before the liverpool game he's he was preventing just over uh, four goals across the season. Uh, compare that to Leno last season, and he, Leno was conceding just over one goal more than expected. Um, and that's not to say Leno had a bad season last year. I think um, people probably forget how dependent Arsenal were on Burnt Leno, but it just goes to show that Aaron Ramsdale's taken to this season exceptionally well. I think not just as as we've spoken about, as Adrian just spoke about with uh, his distribution, both short and long. But in terms of goalkeeping, he has done very well too. Uh, One thing that was actually quite interesting in the piece as well, because I managed to get a little word with uh pat jennings oh um, love big
3: pat (laughs) love big pat he was my the first he was really i mean i I remember bob wilson but i remember standing in the north bank behind big pat and there were four one-on-ones against i can't remember who and he saved all four and then after the fourth one he just turned around and gave us a little wave and i thought what a keeper he
4: was (laughs) what was he saying yeah he, he basically said so i asked him about kind of the mistakes side of things. I asked him whether that was harder to get over when he was a younger goalkeeper. And he actually said no, it was harder when he had built a reputation. Yes. And I think that's where you see, Ramsdale's still only 23 years old, but if if you look at the scrutiny that he's under now, and if you want him to <laughs> uh, take a next step into like international football, that scrutiny is gonna be even, even greater. So I think um, that point of, Having that goldfish memory is going to be even more important as <laughs> as the years as as the weeks, months, and years go on for him. It
3: will. Yeah.
5: The only the only two goalkeepers that have prevented more goals for their teams are David De Gea, who's just 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 above Ramsdale, and then Jose Sard at Wolves, who's prevented nearly ten extra yeah, goals, which is just excellent. just mad, really. But but yeah, Ramsdale is is a is top three, I think, in terms. Of, he's a contender for. Premier League team of the season, isn't he? I think he, I he's think doing
3: he fantastically. He's doing fantastically well, and we all love him. And it's a great connection with the fans that he's got. Um, let's talk about the midfield. Um, I mean, I think Liverpool won that midfield battle last night. Uh, Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago are, are world class players. There's no getting away from it. Jordan Henderson, what he's done. Where, I remember Alex Ferguson talking about his gait uh, mm. and uh, and and the way that he's managed to to produce the football that he has. I think our midfield played well last uh, last night Adrian. I genuinely do. I yeah. think Partey, Odegaard and and uh and uh Xhaka are a very good three actually uh and I and I was particularly pleased that Xhaka and Partey were there last night because I think we needed that experience. But yeah. is it I know it's another one of these cliches a little bit but is it midfield is where the games are won and lost? What,
5: no, not always, because we talked about the, you know, both boxes is is probably where games are won and lost because it's it's about not making mistakes inside your own box, being really ruthless inside the opposition box. But the midfield obviously matters, and I think it was a really good duel. I genuinely yeah. do. I think I I believe that we won the first half battle in central midfield. I think that Partey was excellent. Um, but so too with the other guys. Noticeably, Xhaka played a little bit more central, a little bit closer to Thomas Partey last night, which I thought was was a wise move. Yes, yeah, so I think we, we had the upper hand until half time and then they stepped on the gas. And And Henderson and Thiago were significantly better after the break. And Fabinho, for me, is is the, is the main man. I think he's probably the best in his position in the Premier League, he's he's absolutely outstanding. So no shame in just maybe being edged out by, by by the time the final whistle blew. Our midfield unit is the best it's been for 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 a long, long time. And I don't see him changing it. I really don't. I think that between now and the end of the season it's going to be Partey Xhaka and, and Erdegaard. And the others are just gonna fit around them. Next season, I do think that maybe Xhaka would would, would see his place come under Come under threat, but but the formula is is pretty good, uh, and, and obviously I wasn't on the pod. When you have you discussed the Leicester game, I think
3: we uh, did. Was, we discussed yeah, on Monday, yeah. But- yeah,
5: exactly. I missed that pod, but but I, I thought I picked it because obviously I do the breakdown live, and we did a full build up to the game, and we talked about in the midfield battle, and I picked out I would say six clips of our central midfield against Leicester City, and it was like watching an Arsene Wenger central midfield at its no. best. And I know it was Leicester and I know they were depleted, but the confidence and the class and the quality of the football that they're capable of is, is high level. But, but last night they came up against a, a unit that's maybe just above them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, let me ask you about uh, uh Gabriel Martinelli. Um, Aaron Ramsdale was aiming for him quite a few times. He'd get the ball in his hand and Martinelli would be off and Ramsdale can find him with a 70-yard kick down the field. But that pace and that confidence, we know how much Jurgen Klopp likes him. He said last night after the game that no one should ever say to me again that Alexander Arnold is not a good defender because he managed to stop Gabby Martinelli. Now, that tells you a lot about what he thinks of him. Um, I mean... Is that his best position, playing out wide? I know that there's talk about him maybe playing with his back-to-go in the centre and maybe turning him into some sort of Luis Suarez player, but he's a handful from there, isn't he? he
4: he's exceptional. And I think at the moment, I, I don't mind seeing him out wide. Um, the reason for that is because he naturally drifts inside anyway. So I don't feel like um, it's too much of an arts for him to be out there. Um, I don't feel like you're wasting his talent out there. Um, I know Arsenal are still crying out for a focal point in the middle but I just feel like his skills probably are better suited uh, to those wide areas where he can isolate someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold like he did multiple times last night and you see not just I know people talk about his pace and his his fearlessness but you saw his technique as well. Um, I think when he came Came inside a few times in the first half and then in the second half, right by the corner, uh, he gets past Alexander Arnold. I think it's Henderson that comes to to play as the second man and there's cheeky little nutmeg and he's in yes. into the box. And I think moments like that you don't even the 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 wonderful thing is you you don't expect them to happen. You think, no, you can't you can't do that. That's a step too far. But then he takes the step and he does it successfully, and you think Wow, what what a player. Um, I just feel like similar to the Manchester City game where I believe he, he isolated Jao um, Cancelo about three or four times, done him around the outside and also was able to come on the inside. You just probably wanted it to be him having a bit more support in the final third because you saw once he did beat that man, he just didn't have Lacazette in the same kind of area as him. So... That's kind of the main thing that was holding him and Arsenal back, I think there, there just wasn't um as much support for him as he would have wanted, but I think once again again against the top team, he was one of he was probably Arsenal 's best player um and I think yeah that that left channel, uh, whether it's going around the inside or the outside he he's he's got he's got his groove. <laughs>
3: He has, isn't he, Adrian? Anything you want to add? I mean, yeah. I, I just love watching him. I've got to be honest, he's so exciting as a player.
5: I think that's the word, exciting. I think he's one of the most exciting young players in English football. That was a seriously high standard football match last night. And he was Arsenal's best player. And he was up against one of the world's best right backs. Um, OK, not maybe not one of the best defenders around. But still, he's still class, absolute class, Alexander Arnold. And he twisted him up to, over and over the things he was doing at speed were incredible. His touch, his his uh, quick wittedness, and also his determination obviously always gets the gets the fans on side and, and creates a good energy within the ground as well. So yeah, Gabriel Matel is absolute, absolutely brilliant, and I almost feel like it was a, a breakthrough performance because because he's already broken through, but it, yeah. it's just a reminder that how good he can be. Um yeah very, very very good. The only criticism I would have of him is is around his finishing really. When you see him stroke a ball into the top corner like he did at Watford, you kind of want <laughs> him to be doing it all the finish. time, don't you? Yeah. And 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 I would I would and I'm sure they're trying to encourage him to to get into those areas, but I'd like to see him pop up centrally more often, the way that Liverpool's wide men do, because obviously a lot of Salah's goals come from between the width of the of the goalposts. Same with Salah, the same with Luis Diaz, with Martinelli. I feel that the majority of his chances are in the left side of the box, where he has, he really has to. All he can do is curl it towards the far corner. I'd like to see him just arc his runs and 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 try to pop up as a proper centre forward on occasion, because I think there's every possibility, every chance that he he's our best finisher, and I want him in those positions really.
3: And one more question, Adrian, before we move on. Um, I mean, Liverpool did step it up second half mm. and we couldn't quite stay with them. I mean, is that... D- did they play slightly differently or did they just... I mean, I think I've read somewhere about Jurgen Klopp saying they played between the lines a little bit more. Is is that essentially what happened? Or did, or is it just that they're going to have opportunities and they took them and we didn't?
5: Got in our faces, didn't they? We got in their faces and it's a, it's a very basic premise. But we... Disrupted their flow in the yeah. first half. They couldn't. They couldn't pass through the thirds.
3: Slowed it down as well. By the way, I don't yeah. know if you noticed how long the ball boys were taking. How yeah. long Ramsdale was taking. That was a tactic, right? Game management.
5: Yeah, it was stay in the game. I touched on it earlier. Stay in the game and don't... disrupt their rhythm as well. We completely disrupted their flow. I talked about it at halftime on the on the breakdown live. But what they did to us in the second half was exactly the same. Yeah. So. I think the goal that that Firmino scores was a case in point where where Saka um, you know is chasing the ball towards the touchline but how determined was Robertson to block that to block that pass up the line yeah. and, and he created that that mistake and Liverpool's midfield and actually all of their players they they forced mistakes by basically getting closer to Arsenal players and and making it an even faster game they made it even quicker and uh, the truth is Liverpool are used to playing matches at elite level more than the Arsenal players so that pace that that height that where you have you have no time at all to think about things Liverpool are used to it our players aren't and I think that that shone through in the second half and and they made it a real high level game and we couldn't that's where we just came up short
3: and one word, art uh, for Cedric. Um, Tommy who got injured. I was a bit concerned, but he stepped up and he's improved game on game. I think. I think he made a slight mistake for the goal. He got a bit distant from Ben White. I think it was, and uh, and Jota slipped through the gap. But he's um, he's doing well at right back, isn't he, at the moment? And I'm well. I'm very very happy with what he's doing. Yeah,
4: I think. Even myself, I, I know I joke a bit about him on Twitter because uh, he shares the name of a Harry Potter character. Um, <laughs> but um, I think I, I didn't expect him to be playing this one, be this sturdy. I think everyone knows that he's more attacking than Tommy Tomiyasu. So that's where we see he's in the final third, a lot more overlapping, actually getting crosses into the box as well from the right hand side. Um, and that's very welcome. But I think ever since he's come into the side, he's been very sturdy defensively. Obviously he had his little laps for the goal where he was, as you mentioned, probably too too wide and opened the channel um on that side. But um I think also just his you've seen he's been dependable on the ball, off the ball. He's made the right decisions. He hasn't tried to overthink and do too much if the ball's coming over to him on the back post he'll just deal with it header um head it out of play if he's on the ball he may take an extra touch but it's not to um his own detriment so there are a lot of times against liverpool where he may have been on the ball people would have thought a second too long but he's actually done well to create a space for someone else and and move the ball quicker um i think that that in the first half that worked particularly well where he was on the touchline and maybe drew a player, an extra player in say Robertson moved the ball inside to Partey, And then that's when the ball to Saka in behind was on. So I think he's done a, a very good job in place of Tomiyasu. But of course, Tomiyasu is the first choice. So when he is available again, you'd probably see Cedric drop out. But in this say five, six weeks spell, I've been quite impressed with him.
5: Yeah, he's proved a lot of people wrong, hasn't he? On on that goal, I think, yeah, he could probably tuck in a little bit. But for me, it was clever play from Liverpool. What they did, they 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 put Mane on to Ben White in the build-up. So he kind of stood on Ben White and Jota was there or thereabouts as well. So it's sort of like an overload. And Mane made a really subtle run inside, just as uh, Thiago looks up to play the pass. So he drifts inside and... Ben White takes a step to his left to follow him, and and that is what opened up that yeah, corridor for for Jota. Yeah. So it was it was it was as much White's fault, but I would also say it was it's really smart play from Liverpool. Yeah,
3: it's a slightly annoying opt to step. Uh, Arsenal have won only one of their last eighteen Premier League games against teams starting today in the top two positions. Oh, They've drawn three okay. and lost fourteen. There is another step or two. We know that, uh, but we feel like we're getting closer. Um, by the way, there's an update to the fixture list. We face Chelsea on Wednesday, April the 20th. That's an evening game before hosting May United on Saturday lunchtime. Same thing again. Uh, Arteta, thank you so much to the Premier League to do that. And they've done it again when we have to play Chelsea, and Manchester United. So if you want to give them any advantage, I say to them today, thank you so much for doing that. I mean, is it just the fact, Adrian, that mm-hmm. it's if it was Burnley and May United, we wouldn't be making this... Much fuss. Well, we? it's just two high-level games in four days. But the truth is, these are the games that we want to be playing.
5: Yeah, exactly. And if we were in the Champions League, we would play potentially, you know, Barcelona away on a Wednesday night. And and a lot of the time, you do get the Saturday game, don't you? It, there is. It's not. It's not ridiculous. It's just. It's Manchester United, and it, he will. He will feel. That Manchester United have an advantage there. That, it's that an enormous
3: have, game, that one.
5: Absolutely enormous. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fuming, fuming at the at the fixture computer um, thing myself because I'm away. I booked a short break oh, at Andrew. Easter, and I was convinced that Manchester United would be moved to Super Sunday. i was just convinced of it, and then of course. <laughs> And I'm back on Saturday night, so it's um, yeah. I, I'm going to miss the biggest game of the season and the Chelsea game, which has been squeezed in between. So, so yeah, I'm I'm as angry as Mikel Arteta right now. <laughs> Thanks very, <laughs> it, it, thank you,
3: Premier League. Thank you, Premier League. Abby, our producer, did say it was so Pep, and it was yeah. really. Uh, and Spurs yet to be announced, but we figure that will probably happen in May when we do some sort of celebratory fourth place sort of game and Spurs, I don't know what they do. I'm, <laughs> I don't care about them. Anyway, this is Hand Break Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
2: We better bit uh, with the handbrake at time.
3: Yes, indeed. Handbrake off. Ian Stone here with Adrian Clark and Art de Rocher. Um Now, it is 10 years since the Hayley graduate uh, Fabrice Mwamba collapsed while playing for Bolton against Spurs in the FA Cup. To find out what he's up to now and what he thinks of the current crop of the Arsenal youth, Amy Lawrence caught up with Mwamba earlier this week. <laughs>
1: What a pleasure to introduce an extremely special guest that we got today. I have to admit that there are few people in the world, don't take this the wrong way, Fabrice, that have quite the same effect on me as this man, having been in the stadium supposedly trying to do some work on on a FA Cup tie when he collapsed and watched that unfold before our very eyes. I think everyone was there, just felt so moved and invested and connected to him. And so it's with so much joy that uh, I'm I'm delighted to introduce the one and only Fabrice Moamba, 10 years after that big day, looking good, feeling strong. Um, hey good, <laughs> How are you doing?
2: I'm good, Amy. Thank you for having me.
1: I suppose just don't have we're not going to really spend too much time talking about that event because yeah. Danny has spent time with you writing an, a, a sensational piece. And it's a really good opportunity to talk a bit about your life before and since, I guess. One of the things that's incredible about you that not everybody knows is your backstory. And, you know, we're living in an age when, you know, there's uh, uh, the humanitarian effort is really very necessary with what's going on in a lot of different places in the world. And you grew up in, in Kinshasa, what was then Zaire, and arrived in London, what, at the age of 11, was it? Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering if you can, it's obviously a massive sort of topic, but can you put across the scale of that sort of change and challenge for a kid whose life is completely uprooted and you start a new life? I believe you didn't even speak much English. when came.
2: No, I, I didn't speak a word of English. All I knew was, hello, how are you? <laughs> you know, to see what's going of to the other side of the world. And obviously people seeking asylum, I can very much relate to the situation but uh, it also it gives you this sense of of drive that you have when everything everything settles down dust down and everything you have this burning desire of to be successful for for yourself and also for your family for your country for the people back home and also for the people that help you and
1: you got that opportunity to show your burning desire at arsenal so growing yeah. up i think in walthamstow when you first mm-hmm. arrived you had hayland pretty close to where you lived and I remember David Court, who's uh, uh, heavily involved in the youth development of that time, telling me with amazement that you used to just walk up, walk up to the gates day after day, week after week and say, hey, can I come in?
2: Can I have a trial? What happened was because my best friend was already in the academy. I kept showing up in the face and showing I want to be serious, you know, and when once, once I was given the glimpse of opportunity to train with them, I made the most of it. You know, I made the most of because it was closer to my house. I would go out there. You know, we used to train twice a week. I would go out there four times a week, which gave me more time on the ball, more time to to learn the technical side of the game, more time of learning the tactical side of the game. But the more you spend time on the ball, and the more that you you were, I was there, the more my hunger, desire to become a footballer just increases every single time.
1: So that Haaland, I mean, Haaland is a big thing at the moment. At oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, Smith-Rowe and, and Saka in particular are like the darlings of, of Arsenal. And when you, I think when you were coming through, it was sort of almost that first generation of like, since since Arsenal began to take the academy, you know, in a bit more of a, way where they wanted it to, to echo what was going on with the first team to provide proper facilities and proper training and sort of step up their game and make it kind of something similar to what goes on at London Coney. You know, just tell us a bit about those days, what you remember. And, you know, you came through with a with a fantastic generation. Who were your mates? Who was in your group? Um,
2: I was fortunate, after obviously, to go to from Hayland to London Conley, uh, Shenley, uh, to go to train in the first, to even train that place is just a, I think we were the first team in the country to have that type of training ground, you know. Very, very well built. I had Nicholas, Nicholas Benna, Lord Benna, Sesk, uh, Yohan Jiru, Matthew Conley, Ryan Smith, Jamie O'Hara, who left us went to Spurs. We had a very good team, very, very good team. For me, again, it was an, another stepping stone because, like, instead of us training every like, twice a week, now you're training. Four five times a week with a purpose in terms of like you have to try to be a better person, a better player on the week. Hopefully you have a chance to play a year up. And the principle of me never changed is to stay outside, practice, work on my work on my game every day. If mean going out early, I'll do it. Staying out late, I'll do it just so that I can get more time on the ball. And I knew I was a late coming to the game. I knew the more I get up on the ladder, the more I have to push myself out there, you know? So that was a huge uh, learning lesson for me. To go out there and to train in that place, it was something special. And, uh, you know, you talk
1: about having players like Sesk and Lord Bentner as your, your teammates. Were they both big presences in the dressing room?
2: Yeah, I mean, sesk was more quiet, you know, because Cesc didn't speak much of English. And it was more Nicholas who just... I think it's a Scandinavian thing where they're very much confident in themselves. You know, not in an arrogant way, but I mean, Nicholas was just very confident as a young man. And also, I get to spend more time with Nicholas when we went along to Birmingham together. You know, and it was more just people might misunderstood him in a way. But if you get to sit down with him, you think this guy is just a, he's a soft guy, you know.
1: Um, Happy, happy memories. Uh, it was a good time to Arsenal. And then, of course, moving on to, to Birmingham and Bolton. But I'm just, you know, this whole coaching thing, it's, it's fascinating when you think about when you've got a group of young players who are trying to break through, as you probably saw when you had, mm. you know, Foden or, or when you were coming through yourself and you have Sesk. What, what is the thing that makes the difference for the ones who go all the way? I mean, you, you imagine that in any academy group, everybody has a certain base level of technical ability, yeah. a certain base level of hunger and hopefully professionalism. What are the factors? that makes sure that it's Bukayo who ends up, you know, um, I, I, with Jurek I mean, rise, for example, or Emil Smith-Rowe?
2: The way the game is, there's a lot of competition, a lot of competition, the competition of getting to the team. And if your mate who's same age as you is playing a year up, you feel like you're not, you're not doing as good, as good as him or whatever. But what you really have to be aware of is that football has always been a game of improvement, and if you stand still, somebody's right behind you who's working harder than you will end up going past you. And you see in the academy, even I see it now, like when I go to someone in the training ground, training finish at 12 o'clock, 2.45, the whole training ground is empty. You know, and I don't see the idea of it. I think you're coming to work. You should stay in training ground for probably another extra two hours. Work on your, work on your game. Whatever, whatever you need to work on, you've got to sit down and work on your game. That's the only way you can improve the game. And uh and don't feel like if your friend who's the same age as you has made it before you, that you're doing something wrong. It's just about timing. And when your time has come, be given opportunity. And when you're given opportunity, make sure you take make the most of it.
1: What are your dreams and aspirations for the next ten years then, Fabrice?
2: I'll I'll love to see myself being in a amongst the Premier League coach. Definitely. I want to be in amongst it all. I'd, but in around the Premier League coach, I want to be in amongst you. I want to challenge myself. Um, I've been in the sideline for a long time and, and I think it's time where you need to put yourself out there. And as I said, I've got all the qualification. I've played the game, have a knowledge of the game and I want to put myself out there now. I would love to manage Bolton. That would be a dream come true. And I mean, that's for me, it would be, that would take everything.
1: Wow. Well, I really, really wish you luck. That would be a lot of people rooting for you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That was Amy uh, speaking with Fabrice Mwamba. You can read more on this story uh, as Daniel Taylor caught up with Mwamba and the people who saved his life. That's all on the Athletic. I was um, I was doing a radio show with Ian Wright that day, and we were watching the game live when it happened, and. It was. It was a very, very shocking moment. But he sounds like he's got his head and his life back together. And he does talk quite a lot about the Arsenal Academy. Ah, you watch. You keep your eyes on the Arsenal Academy. And obviously, there's been a lot of focus on Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith Rowe. I mean, we've got two players who could potentially be worth a hundred million quid each for nothing, essentially. Who else? Who else is coming through? Um, I mean, I've got on the note I'm talking about Daniel Ballard, part of the Northern Ireland squad for the international break. Um, who's uh, who's looking like a possibility?
4: Yeah, so um, Daniel Ballard's at Millwall this season I think we've spoken a little bit about him before earlier in the season when we were talking about the youth <laughs> and um... <laughs> the youth
3: sorry I sound like a 90 year old but it just makes me laugh to say it you know
4: but um yeah he um he was at Blackpool last season um got them promoted was one of one of the sides with the most clean sheets in the league last season and he's come to Millwall And he's lived up to the same kind of expectations in terms of their defensive security. Um,
3: Centre-off, right?
4: Yeah, centre-off. He he did have a a little bit of an injury during the winter months, so only came back a few weeks ago. But he's just slotted back into centre-back and he's he's been just same old, same old. I think reliable in there. Um, He played against Flo Balogun on the weekend uh, at the Den. I was there watching. And you just saw... I guess, a level of comfort in, in the championship where he read the game very well, knew when to step out, knew when to be very physical with Balogun because that's who he was man-marking most of the time. And yeah, I think you've just seen a player who who knows himself very well and now he's, he's 22 years old, um, second season playing first-team football but you just see a player that, that knows himself quite well. And he's been with the Northern Ireland first team set up for about 18 months now as well, playing alongside Johnny Evans as well. So That'll I think help. you see, yeah, I think you see, even though he's still quite young, he, he has got a lot of experience already. Um, aside from him, I think uh, Adrian watched Flo Baligan in the week and there he's been playing at Middlesbrough in a two man strike partnership. Uh, with Aaron Connolly most of the time. I think he's probably still looking, I'm not sure what Adrian thought from the game in the week, but uh, when I watched him and from the clips that I've watched, you're still kind of looking for, I guess, that know-how of um, what to expect from defenders at first team level, kind of anticipating that contact. But you can see his techniques there all the time. And he's... When he does get into that space, uh, he is causing problems. But yeah, I wonder what mm. what Adrian. He played points. well
5: at Birmingham. Yeah, he, he scored a goal. He scored a goal from the edge of the box. He curled it into the bottom corner. It's a really good finish. He also had a disallowed goal where he ran through from the halfway line. He was marginally offside, but he finished it really nicely. he. he I think it might have been his best game. Um, during this loan spell, it's yeah, been a lot a learning... of
3: Twitter noise about him. By the way, on Saturday after, because I know he scored, but yeah. I saw a lot of people tweeting about him as well.
5: Yeah, I I think it's been tougher than he might have anticipated. Championship is a is a hard league, full of sort of very experienced defenders good, and good players, to be honest. And that they don't roll over and you know let you destroy them. Um, there are signs there that, that that he's a real player, but there's a bit more to prove as well. I don't think he's always looked as confident as I thought he would be inside the penalty box. I think he's he's tightened up a little bit on some of his finishes. So maybe I'm hope what I'm hoping is that this performance at Birmingham the quality of the goal he scored will just give him that confidence boost to to you know end the season with a flourish and and then there's a decision to be made. I think personally I think he probably needs one more loan spell. Um, before we can consider him to be you know really part of our, our match day squad in terms of someone that can make the difference
0: yeah
3: yeah Go I, on, I
4: think because um, I spoke to Chris Wilder after the Millwall game and one thing he mentioned was if Arsenal as a club want to be getting into say the Champions League um, those experience say playing at the Den where he's in an atmosphere I doubt he's ever experienced before where Almost free, free, free stands of the ground a vocal for ninety minutes, and it's not nice. So at, in that game, he had a, <laughs> <laughs> he had a, no, he kidding. had a penalty appeal uh, that was turned down, and from that moment on, the Millwall fans were booing him whenever he touched the ball, and that is something he's not going to experience playing for the under twenty threes, but is going to be beneficial in terms of being exposed to those sort of atmospheres that yeah. Arsenal may face if they go away in Europe further down the line Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing that he's having a tough time sometimes but yeah as Adrian says I think good experience to get this loan now but then probably build on that next season I reckon
3: I saw Wright on match of the day talking about about um, how young everybody is at Arsenal he's saying Vini's young and Edu's young and Mertesacker's young and the manager's young and the team are young and do you think, and I, I'll ask both of you this, Adrian? Do you think there's more of a connection through the club, and by the way, the fan base, especially away, is younger as well. But do you think there's more of a connection because it feels like a like a a, a blossoming project, uh, and it's and it's really led by the youth? Yeah,
5: I I, I do understand that, and yeah, you know, I embrace that. And yeah, they are they all they're all learning on the job, aren't yeah. they? But they're all really hungry and definitely moving in the right direction. But when you've got a bunch of hungry people that want to, that are desperate for success and to build something memorable, it can be a really powerful thing. Mistakes will always be made because they don't have the value of experience. But, but it, it feels more like We're a family. Forgive. It We're feels forgive. more like a family as well, behind the scenes, I think. I think that the, the academy level, that they're really all in it together, working as a group, to produce the best coaches, to produce the best young players, and and you know at senior level, it's it's something similar. So yeah, I, I really I, I like it. Even though you know when you've got a bunch of people learning on the job, it's uh, yeah, there's it's gonna be, there are going to be imperfections.
3: And and art, I'm I'm assuming you feel the same way that there is that feeling running right through the club that this is a project that is worth buying into.
4: Yeah, I think you've seen that when you look at the way other clubs act and react to difficult moments. Arsenal haven't reacted in the same way over the past, say, two and a half years since they've appointed Mikel Arteta. I know in terms of looking from the, the outsiders fans, there's been a lot of frustration. But you've seen in those moments Arsenal stuck by their their, pe- their people. And right now, it looks like they're they're paying dividends for that um and i think it's very lucky in a way that they did stand firm because you have that stability now whereas say if you rewind to when Unai Emery was in charge you just didn't have the stability because it was such a quick change from say Arsene Wenger's style of management to the way Unai Emery wanted to run things or was more i'd say in he was more part of a system than say Arsene Wenger was, yeah. um, whereas now you've you've kind of got the foundations laid, and you're just in that position where you can hopefully benefit from that.
3: Adrian, is this what what they mean when we talk about identity of a club? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I
5: spoke to I spoke to a few of the coaches recently. I spoke to Kevin Betsy, obviously the under twenty three coach. I spoke to the head of coaching Luke Hobbs and his assistant Mark Rivers. They're basically, they coach the coaches and, and it's so much about everything that they talk about is about the identity of the club and having certain values that, that the first team insist on, you know, via Mikel Arteta, but, but that filters down to, to the, you know, under eights upwards, you know, that they all, when I speak to these guys, it's always about respect, discipline, humility. You know, building strong young gunners is their, is their is their sort of catchphrase. And and if you look at the first team right now, it's full of strong young gunners, isn't it? And and and, and, and that's and that's something they wanna they want to continue. I've, I've been really impressed actually with the with you know with what I've learned by speaking to these guys. There's so much depth to what they do. Really you know, real hard workers and, and no no stone is unturned. But that, that identity is very clear right for right through the age groups and and one of the questions because because i was speaking to the guys that coach the coaches or they sort of mentor the coaches i said how do you gauge whether whether that's working how do you gauge whether coaches are really improving and and the key message was we want each team whether it's from the under nines tens 11s 12s 13s i want them to look the same i want them to look like an arsenal team to have that identity to have those values and, and by all accounts, that is happening behind the scenes, which is great because if by the time they get into the first team, th- th- there's nothing new.
3: They'll know. Go on, Art. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
4: and just in terms of talking to like Kevin Betsy, I've obviously managed to speak to him quite a lot after under-23s games this year. And I think the, the main thing you get from his ideas, I guess, is it's not always going to look like a carbon copy of the first team, but a lot of the principles will be the same. So they may, the under-23s, for instance, a lot of this season they've spent playing with a back three, but that's not necessarily to their detriment. They're still playing with the ball on the floor, trying to play through the thirds. It's the just patterns, The patterns yeah. are
3: the same, aren't they?
4: Yeah, and I think um, it's just their, their group of players is probably better suited to that shape. Rather than it being a whole different ideology, and I think when I, because I did um like a one-to-one interview with Betsy earlier in the season, and one thing um, he mentioned was winning can be there, but it's not the be-all and end-all for especially for the development phase.
3: I remember you saying, and
4: um, basically like he said, if they're winning but they're not adhering to certain club values, then they're they're not really going to be that happy. So they're going to still address those problems. Um, and I think that's probably just as important as the football inside of things as well.
3: Well, that's a good way to finish there. Uh, I think let's have a song from each of you. Uh, Art, let's start with you. Uh, this month's
4: been dominated by the Batman for me. So I, I'm going to go with um, <laughs> Something in the Way by Nirvana, because that's um, just been in my head since I watched the movie. <laughs> so Might. not very not very football related but I'll go for that.
5: <laughs> Adrian what you got? Yeah, um it's it's sort of a song born out of last last night's game against Liverpool in the pouring rain. Um it's Rihanna, it's Umbrella. And um, and and the reason I've picked it is because we all needed an umbrella last night, didn't Yes. It? it was absolutely pouring. But but on a deeper level it's kind of a song about Sticking with your partner, sticking with the one you love in the good times and the bad. And it's like, I'll, I'll always shield you, I'll always protect you. And and I felt that's what Arsenal fans really did to the team last night. I, I, I made them joint man of the match with Gabriel Martinelli from an Arsenal point of view. The, the way they responded to Arsenal going behind was brilliant and it was as if like they were putting an umbrella over that team and saying don't worry we're with you we're going to protect you and because we you know we're in this together and 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 yeah i just think that 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 some fits it
3: quite emotional listening to that. I'm not even joking. That's really nice. I've got there's a couple of songs I chose. 9 inch nails did a song called Closer. I do feel we're getting closer. Um usually I against Liverpool we're 3-0 down after 20 minutes, but we we're, we're in that game for quite a few uh, quite a bit of it and I uh, I do feel like we're getting closer. And because I mentioned it just before, um there's a song by X-Ray Specs from when I was uh, one of the uh, Ute in 1978. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I promise you that is the last time I say that. Uh, it's called Identity. And... Um, I do feel this team has an identity now. This club has an identity again in the way that I feel we've sort of missed out on for a few years. So uh, all very encouraging. And uh, Villa away in about, I don't know, half an hour's time or something. It's absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. That's it. Thanks to Art. Thanks to Adrian. Thanks to Abby, our producer. And um, thanks to you for listening. I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic.